What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Pig, and welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. Flyers get the seventh pick. Can the Sixers win game five? We'll talk to it all right now with Kevin Kincaid on the program. Rush Joy coming up at 12.15. So at least you'll get 15 minutes of good sports talk, and then uh, I guess the, 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 the numbers will crater once Russ comes on. That's in typical Russ fashion, correct? Actually, just the chat like Russ. Let's get a little poll going on. Hey, yes, yes or no? Thumbs up, thumbs down. You like Russ? All right. Anyway, Kevin Kincaid, how are you, buddy? Thanks for taking over the show yeah. on uh, on Thursday while I was gallivanting yeah. around Boston and and getting our dicks kicked in for uh, mm-hmm. for game two. Um, yeah. It didn't go well. It didn't look good. It was embarrassing. Game three, embarrassing. I uh, I'm not a big throw things guy. But uh, game three, throwing the phone around a little bit, throwing some pillows, punching, screaming, all that stuff. I thought this. I thought this series was dead in game three. Then they come out in game four, and uh, they go up sixteen. Tatum can't hit the ocean, and uh, you know had a little bit of a scare in the end. But uh, but they win. It's surviving advance. That's the NBA playoffs. How you feeling going into game five? You think they actually have a shot to win in uh, in Boston tonight? Uh, no, no, I don't. But. I, I think they can come back and win game six and at least put and you know push it to a game seven and and see what happens there you know um you know I mean Boston probably uh could have should have should have won that game on Sunday see and, that's uh, the thing I didn't want to do this I didn't want to do this yeah. like you yeah. know I'm not feeling that great you know like yeah. you said survive in advance for game four but like if you look at it there is so much shit. Yeah. That went into them winning game game four. Yeah. Tatum having, I think he had three points that came at the end of the first half, started over seven from three. That James Harden floater to tie it up was an insane shot. I don't remember the last time he's hit a floater that far away. Can't remember the last time he's taken a taking a floater like that. He doesn't really shoot that Trey Young kind of kind of whatever. He usually gets yeah. he he usually gets all the way. I mean, he added that like elbow jumper, that kind of mid-range. But no, mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't even he doesn't even try that. Very the awesome. pass out of the double from Embiid. James Harden hits that three in the corner, and then we needed a miss at the end of this and at the end of regulation, a wide open miss from yeah. Marcus Smart, yeah. and then we needed the buzzer to sound off <laughs> Marcus Smart again. Yeah, yeah like yeah. I I hate this. I hate that I'm not like feeling good because like Tough. a couple things. The NBA script writers would be awesome if they beat you know if they beat the Celtics, then they had the chance to vanquish the Heat get back at them in uh, the yeah. Easy Conference Finals, then play the Lakers, suppose, uh, potentially in the uh, – what is going on over there? Just changing the lighting here. Oh. <laughs> then they have a chance to play the Lakers <laughs> well, in the on. finals. I mean, the East is wide open this year. It's, it's, it's so wide open that know, it's just like they need to find a way because I was uh, – so we were at Goat Races uh, filming a video on Sunday, so I had to listen to it coming back. I had to listen to Tom McGinnis and everything. So I didn't really get like a kind of perception how it looked on the uh, on the TV and everything. But I remember traveling down 76. I was like, well, you know what? They're going to lose game four. They blew the lead. But at least Doc won't be here next year. I don't know. That's what I that, that's, that's how you were. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just I, I don't I don't want people to get it. Get it the twisted. You know, like I'm happy that they won this game and they they, they dug deep to, to get there, you know, and um I think the thing that's probably understated is that Doc trimmed the rotation down to <clears throat> let's not call it eight guys. Let's call it seven and a half. Let's call it seven seven point two five because Paul Reed only played six minutes. So I've I've got no, you know, qualms with the thought that the entire team and beat especially coming off the injury was gassed in that fourth quarter. Um, <clears throat> you know, but they 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 hit James Harden hit big shots when it mattered. PJ Tucker got on Joel Embiid. And then we saw a little bit of a different Embiid in overtime, and and so like there's a little bit of something extra there that was not there last year and the year prior. I think I I think we all agree with that. Um, I would agree with that. And I think they're digging they're digging to to, to pull out these these games because I think people were saying I think one of the takeaways was like I don't know how many times I heard on Twitter that you know quote that was a game that they lose last year or they've yeah. they've lost those kinds of games in the past. That's true. I think you can believe that and think that the Sixers have a little bit something extra this year while also thinking like deep down just like like niggling in like. The back of my mind is just this thought that like Boston's just still a little bit better. I think uh, it's I think it's their bench. I think if you if you stack the the starting lineups together, you'd be like, okay, you know, Embiid, Tatum, 
whatever James Harden guy you get, you know, in whatever game, all right, he'll kind of cancel out Jalen Brown. Yeah. You know, then you have Marcus Smart, then you have Derek White, then you have Robert Williams off the bench, or not Robert Williams, excuse me, Grant Williams off the bench. You have Malcolm Brogdon, sixth man of the year. And it's kind of like you look at the Sixers bench, you're like, who's going to show up today? Like, where has yeah. Jalen Daniels been? Yeah. Why yeah. George Niang have more confidence than anybody on the freaking team? Like, I like George Niang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regular rotation minutes on <laughs> the Lakers right now. I don't think he's getting regular rotation minutes on the Warriors right now. No. You could argue the Knicks, he might spell Josh Hart for a little bit, but like, yeah, I just don't think anyone can can look at these two on paper and just be like, these teams match up well. I mean, the Boston is getting so much more from their bench, but I'm looking at it right now, and and even uh, even uh, Joe Mazzola only played eight guys. So you know, yeah. it's, it's 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 what they did. I mean, eight 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 versus seven and a half. So well, ironically, coming into it, as much as everybody said about Doc Rivers and Doc being a liability and thinking that he was going to cost them in the second round as he has before, it, it falls on Joe Mazzulla, you know, rookie head coach, to not call a timeout at the end of that game, and in hindsight, of course, say that that was the wrong decision. Uh, it, you know, but on the other end of that, they got a wide open look. The shot yeah. went in, and if Marcus Smart releases that a half second earlier, that's game over and probably series over too. Price so I just yeah, I'm looking for like the advantages that the Sixers have in this series, and I'm just not really you know they they fought and scraped and clawed to get it back to two two, but Embiid ran out of steam in that fourth quarter, and Harden had to have two miracle games to get them to two two, right? So I'm I'm not I'm just I guess what I would ask people is like what what do you if you're positive about this team and you think that they can win the series, what, what makes you think that they can, that they can do that, that they can do this two more times, you know, because I thought both of the wins that they've had were somewhat miraculous, you know, because <laughs> I knew that that run was coming. I knew they were going to collapse like the 15 points in the fourth quarter, man, just the, the, the list of shit that, that happened to them in that fourth quarter. I was like, you have to be kidding me. You know, Embiid getting blocked at the rim by Horford the first time. I think Maxi was blocked on the very next possession by Tatum. I want to say, and then you had Horford parting the Red Sea and running down the lane for a dunk. I'm like, you have to be fucking kidding me. What am I watching here? And being how, how poetic was it that he shimmies and then everything <laughs> just goes against the Celtics for the rest of the game? I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, surely the Sixers season cannot end on an Al Horford like wide open dunk and a shimmy. Like, this is this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I think people would have been okay with them moving to Camden after that if if if, if Al Horford would have ended the season on on a dunk. And a shimmy, but yeah, I mean Tobias Harris, nine points, forty-five minutes. Yeah, yeah, and a turnover. Then you could be like, hey, PJ Tucker gave you six. So like, does that does that kind of get Tobias Harris fifteen? Because Harden and Embiid scored like seventy-six or seventy-seven of their like one hundred sixteen points. And I'm like, man, I just I don't. It's not like look. um, There's a poll. I think the fanatic put out a poll yesterday asking if Embiid and Harden had to have big games again for. for the Sixers to win uh, game game five. And uh, I was like, well, yes, no shit. The Sixers stars have to play like stars and, and, and be good for them to win. But, but I don't with as erratic as Harden has, has been. It's just that's why I look at it and I'm like, man, I don't, I don't, I, I can't feel confident because of that. And knowing that Embiid is going to have to play the minutes that he's going to have to play because there, there is no, there's nowhere to go. We're in the second round of the playoffs, man. The rotation is what it is. Um, you know, if he's going to turn in another fourth quarter like that, then then I don't know where they go from here. I, I think what was interesting was, and I made this observation, I didn't go super hard at him, whereas some of the other, like the radio guys were talking mad shit about Embiid or whatever. There's the, there's the poll, yeah. James Harden and Joel Embiid combined for 76 points in yesterday's win. Will they need that kind of production to win game five in Boston? 6-1-0. 90, yeah, 6-1-0. Uh, 94, uh, ironically, 94.1%. Um, Believe that yes, they need to have that kind of production. But but see, here's the thing. I don't. <clears throat> I'm going to go back to the well of uh, more than one thing can be true here. As uh, Rush Joy's eyes roll through the back of his head. <laughs> but yes, he was gassed. Yes, he was tired. Yes, he hadn't played that many minutes recently. Yes, he was coming off of injury. But at the same time, I think he was punked by Al Horford. I think he wanted absolutely nothing to do with Horford for that stretch of three to four possessions after the block, which was exemplified. Pagans by the possession where he stood there kind of like at the elbow, held it for like four or five seconds, didn't do anything with it, just dumped it off to Tobias Harris, who airballed a, a shot, a mid-range shot. P.J. Tucker then grabbed the offensive rebound, got the put back in the end one. That was the sequence leading up to him going over to Embiid and chewing him out. 
yeah. I'll be saying to him, what the fuck are you doing holding on to the ball for four or five seconds here? And <clears throat> I get it. I'm going to give him be the benefit of the doubt. Like if his legs aren't there, if his lift isn't there, if he thinks he can't take Horford off the dribble because he's just gassed at that point in the game, then then make make note of that. Like tell Harden, like, yo, you got to take it or throw the mm-hmm. ball right back to him or whatever because you can't sit there and hold it for four or five seconds because you just rushed a teammate into an air ball. Well, that's Kev. This is the thing that bothers me so much. So many possessions start at 10 seconds on the shot clock. It's insane yeah. how much that happens with the Sixers. How yeah. slow they play. And we've always talked about how boring a brand of basketball is when Joel Embiid is in. It's so much more fun to watch them yeah. when Embiid is out and the starters are playing and stuff. But obviously, I'm not knocking Embiid. He's an MVP. You need him in the game to even be 2-2, 3-2 potentially. But so many possessions start with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. And it's either Embiid at the elbow, Embiid in the post, yeah. Harden just hanging out around the three-point line, dribbling through his legs. And I'm sure this is... You know, obviously something they, they talk about and whatnot, but I, I just you watch you watch the Celtics on offense, and then you watch the Sixers on offense completely night and day. When Embiid gets the ball, everybody just sits around. Or when Harden is dribbling at the top of the key, everybody's just standing around. If you're I'm watching Boston, guys are just moving all over the place. Backdoor yeah. cuts here, cuts yeah. there, setting screens and everything. It's just it's wild. And in, and if it, if this was if this was a Duca, I think this might be a sweep, honestly. Thank God this is Joe Mazzola. I mean, oh, Joe Mazzola yeah. has made so yeah. much boneheaded plays, not being able to to uh, to get his guy shots in game one, not uh, blitzing Harden in game one, not knowing how to defend the pick. Then in game two, winning by 40, and he drops the mic on the reporter saying they don't want to talk about adjustments. And then he comes back out two games later, doesn't call two timeouts at the end of the game. Jason Tatum passes twice, twice. Fraud, Jason Tatum, playoff alert. Out of it, don't draw anything up, and uh, and they lose. But well, it's I was trying to find this tweet from uh, Tiago at the Painted Lines um, about Embiid's about the speed of their offense and Embiid particularly. And he says Embiid's early O frequency is down versus Boston with its touches greater than six seconds up substantially from the regular season. So you're right; they're playing when they play through him. They're playing slower. They're playing slower. Um, yeah, and they they just. Um, the, the Sixers are a good team when they when they're moving, playing faster, and when they're in transition, when they're coming down the floor, when they're setting the picks higher up uh, the floor, when they're able to turn defense into offense. Because James Harden picks out good passes, and Tyrese Maxey is good in space. And I just think that's the key to them kind of playing with a little bit more tempo. But again, you talk about the thing about guys being gassed, you know, because because you're only playing seven point five dudes out there, you know, and yeah. Niang is a defensive liability at the same time. You notice that when he comes on the floor, Boston tries to go small so that you can't really hide Niang, try to put him in pick and rolls and get him to. It's interesting, man, because there's not a lot of like super tactical stuff going on here. It's the two teams that are looking for matchups, putting guys, yeah, in pick guys. And roll, trying to get their favorite, trying to get their favorite, their matchup and then just kind of move the ball and spread it from there. It's not like they're really dialing up a lot of crazy sets or anything like that. Um, it's just high level playoff basketball, you know, but, you know, Embiid. Like I, the thing with Embiid about like, because I just didn't want to fall into the trap of like saying that the guy is like a pussy or he's like mentally not there. Or what I like, you know, and we've been there before, man. I mean, it's like he's got to because because you can go back and forth. It's like the chicken or the egg. It's like, well, he's hurt, you know, and mm-hmm. you can go in a go in a circle and say, I get it, man, but you know, he's just gonna have to. He's on the floor, man. He's gonna have just have to play through that the best he can. And uh, if you don't have a, your lift, so be it, man. But you can't be passive against Al Horford for three or four possessions in a row. And then just get bailed out by your teammates because it wasn't for James Harden, man. They'd be they'd be probably going home tonight. So well, I will say this is the first time I saw this stat that Joel Embiid has been on the floor with another player who's had forty plus points in a playoff game. Mm. It's crazy. Not well, actually, yeah. it's not crazy because you look at the guys who he's played with, and other than Jimmy Butler, nobody has any playoff resume would have would have been able to do yeah i mean what other teammate that he's played with in the playoffs ever besides Butler would have the capability to even do that. That there, there really is none. You know? JJ goes ten for ten for twelve from uh, from three one year off dribble. Yeah, handoff. it's just man, it's tough because I just like I I think they probably expended so much energy the other night and they're probably just happy to get it back to two two that I think they may go up and lay an egg in this game. Come oh, back, yeah. come come back. We, I mean, what's the line now? Is it still? Like yeah, seven? Craig, if you can pull up the line on DraftKings or yeah. FanDuel or something like that, that'd be awesome. What do you um? What do you think about? So I'm going back to game three because like I I just was I was so annoyed with game three Mm -hmm. and 
you know, we're talking about James Harden. You're talking about Joel Embiid getting punked by Al Horford. Like, what is it with this guy? With Joel Embiid, you were you you mentioned, you know, obviously gassed at the end, injured. You know, you know he might not be able to get his lift. But like, how do we get? And here is Craig pulls up the line. It is oh, it's plus seven and a half Celtics. Seven and a half. Minus seven and a half Celtics. Excuse me. Um, yeah, that's a. Uh, yeah, I think this is. I, I think we might get a game two ish kind of uh, kind of game today. But going back to my original point, what what is it when you're like you see these, you see James Harden score forty five in game one, and then you see him just lay an egg in game two, and you could say, okay, maybe his shot just wasn't there. But game three, I mean, I was calling him ball crew because I thought he was shaving points. If you told me that James Harden was absolutely shaving points and it was like connected to the mob or something like that. Yeah. I would have 100% believed you because it made no sense. That pass from two feet in, two, two feet away from the basket, was Ben Simmons-esque. And I had people saying, yeah. like, yeah. he's scared. You know, the lights are bright, the blah, 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 this and that. He doesn't want to make, you know, decisions and stuff. I just refuse to believe somebody that can drop 45 points in, on a road court in front of, like, insane Boston fans can be scared of the bright lights. That makes zero sense to me when people have that excuse for him. But I, I, I can't no, I, I can't put my finger on what it could be. That was not a James like it was like the Monstars took James Harden's powers in yeah. game three. It was insane. Just shooting variables. I don't know. Just a guy who has a high ceiling and a really low floor and and the median hard, hard to find for him, you know? Um I mean the guy has a ton of experience. I don't think he's afraid of anything. And game two, I would give you the thought that like, hey, you know, Embiid's back and so our offense is looking different. I would expect mm-hmm. an egg from him on that one. But yeah, I mean, game three was was inexplicable, you know. Um, I think it just goes back to the idea, though, of, you know, like, can you close through a guy like Embiid? You know, they did it in the regular season and they did it last year, but it's so hard to, to you know, you look at mm-hmm. perimeter initiation and and everybody who's, who's scoring these like 40 point and 50 point games in the playoffs, Steph Curry, Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, what though they have in Tatum and Brown on the other side. It's like, you know, can you consistently like initiate through a seven foot guy on the perimeter, especially who's been injured, you know? And so Harden's just going to have to like realize that like, yo, I'm the guy who can create a shot, who can force a mismatch here, who can, who doesn't require a, a entry pass into the, into the post or into the elbow and, and just go from there. You just need that assertive and, and aggressive Harden, especially because you know now that Embiid is can't, can't be himself for all four quarters like you know he's going to be cooked at some point you know he's going to be gassed at some point so harden's got to take a shot and they need more they need more from maxi man maxi can't skate you can say that like harden single-handedly i saw a lot of this take that harden single-handedly won them game one true mm-hmm. and that he single-handedly lost them game three tyrese maxi was absent in game three as well because you know you're not getting points from Tucker or Harris. You're just kind of like, well, whatever. You know, maybe make some defensive plays, grabs a rebound here or there. So, like, your third your guy who is going to score the third most points for you is going to be Maxi. You know, and you look at what Boston's getting from, from Brogdon, from, you know, Derek White being able to hit an open three. Boston just got all these dudes who can defend at, a, at an above-average level, and they can hit, knock down a three-pointer. So, I don't know. It just, it just feels like the Sixers have to work, like, a lot harder – you know, on the offensive end, while Boston's get 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 some uh, some easy ball movement and some good looks. So, I know we'll yeah, see especially if uh, Maxi's got that. If those rumors are true about two hundred million dollar uh, contract extension this summer, like yeah, I'm going to need yeah. Maxi to kind of be the third scorer and uh, maybe, yeah. you know, get all, maybe Tobias pours in you know twelve to fifteen as a four scorer and whatnot. But I think you're 100 yeah. right. I mean, he struggled those last two games and whatnot. Clear foul, um, by the way, too. I mean, there's not even really much to discuss about the push off. But I mean, for the for the refs to come back and say it wasn't a foul is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I mean, it was a clear extension of the forearm. Everybody yeah. saw it. Like Maxi, too. My thing with Maxi there is like he didn't flop. If he just felt, you know if he pulled a Phoenix Suns owner, Matt Ishbia. Fell on his ass or whatever, you know. He probably would have got a whistle there, but he tried to stay up and play it and contest the shot. So, I don't know that and the Marcus Smart thing. I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, man, in addition to them, like, just just uh, bagging it at the end here, they're going to get dicked by the refs. In, in addition to that, so you think Josh Harris sells that? If finals. he gets pushed, yeah, finals, <laughs> Jokic, game four, yeah, we need to tie the series. Well, ball goes to the ball goes right by uh, Doc Rivers into Josh hmm. Harris's lap. Josh Harris yeah. letting the guys get back on defense. Josh Harris selling that? I hope so. I mean, I you got to do everything you can to help your team, man. You know, that's that's rare that the owner could be. I mean, like, 
the sixth man is giving Doc coaching advice, right? Because he's been standing up throughout the entire series. So, so Josh Harris has to figure out a way to be involved here and to. And to you think the sixth man sells that? I think the sixth man has a ketchup packet in his <laughs> pocket. Alan Horowitz the shit out of that and just yeah. smacks it on his face and he's just bleeding, like like Ric Flair. Maybe he's got a razor. Ric Flair s just cuts. Yeah. And he's just bleeding as, as Jokic throws a forearm shiver into his chest. Why is also the owner sitting in the corner? Uh, yeah. I, well, no, he he wasn't, right? Oh, oh no, he, was in, the, he was in the Josh. corner. Yeah, sorry. The Sun's yeah, baseline. Yeah. He's on, sitting on the corner of the baseline. Why is, it, yeah, why is the owner sitting in the corner? Yeah, that's not a premium seat, right? That is a good yeah. question. Why would he be sitting there? I don't know. Maybe he's a selfless individual. Maybe he's giving the good tickets to the to the high-paying. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he owns a mortgage company. I've never met many billionaires who are selfless individuals who own a, who are you mortgage can have a good entrepreneurs. Deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're right. I don't know, man. I, I, he made a lot of money in 2008. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I, I think they lose tonight. I think they win Game Six. I think it comes down to Game Seven, and anything can happen. But I just, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the the guts and the grit that the Sixers showed in Game Four. I just don't think they have what it takes to win the series. I hope I'm wrong. Well, let's transition over to uh, to something else. The uh, the Philadelphia Flyers they get the seventh overall pick. NHL draft lottery was yesterday. If you missed it, it it flew by faster than the uh, Atlanta Braves team bus during that uh, World Series parade. It was it was whatever the it was the opposite of the NBA draft lottery. No pageantry. It looked like it was like uh, still we're in like COVID times. I, Danny Breer was sitting in like a humongous room by himself, looking ghostly as ever. Uh, everybody was on Zoom. They were in like some weird uh, studio on ESPN. Kevin Weeks might have might have. Uh, he dropped that uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets were or the uh, the Blues. I forget what it was. We're picking third when it, they were they didn't even get shown yet. But anyway, the Flyers got the seventh overall pick. No Connor Bedard, so we wanted to bring on Rush Joy to uh, for the program to talk about it. Russ, good spaces last night, my man. I was Thanks, tuned dude. in. Hundred plus people you. joining you and everything. Getting Only caused a little bit of controversy, right? You did. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I wanted to ask some questions. You, you were you were fiddling around with the uh, with getting people in and getting people out. You know, I've, I've spent age. so much time sitting back going, like, why don't people do Twitter Spaces and stream at the same time? They're actually, it's, good. it's a ten second delay. It took me two and a half hours last night to try to edit and sync up audio and like fixed audio uh, with the spaces, but that's over on the Snow Goalie YouTube account now. So if people want to watch and listen and all that, it's there. Um, if you're the kind of person who watches Law & Order SVU and cheers on the person who commits the crime, congratulations, you're a Chicago Blackhawks fan. Because that's what happened last night. The Blackhawks, who covered up sexual assault, somehow uh, also actively chose to tank. They somehow were rewarded by the hockey gods with the number one overall pick, the biggest generational talent since uh, Connor McDavid or a Sidney Crosby. And um, they're attempt at a rebuild is going to get accelerated now because they're they're going to get the best prospect to come out in years so there we go guys <laughs> do you believe in the rigged do you believe kevin weeks kind of uh rigged it a little bit no not kevin weeks the nhl excuse me no because you have to think about it like this if you look at the teams that were in let's say that that seven the 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 seven worst spots right if you're the nhl you want chicago to get one of those top picks because chicago even though they were the third worst in terms of like capacity percentage last year, you know, people showing up butts and seats. That's also because they actively chose to tank and they, they didn't hide that from their fans. Um, that's still an, an important hockey market. It's still an important market for the NHL. It's a team that won what three titles in six years. Like that's a good spot for the, the new star to go. There's also now the chance that Patrick Kane's going to try to go back to Chicago and, and uh, play with the kid. But um Damn. I mean, that's good for the league. Do you want Bedard to go die in obscurity in Anaheim? No. Now, Anaheim does have a lot of young players who are exciting and all that, but, like, you don't want him to go to, to Anaheim. You don't want him to go to Arizona. You sure as hell don't want him to go to Columbus. There's nothing exciting about that. Yeah, You have Johnny Gaudreau. That's fine. Maybe you'll have Kevin Hayes soon. But, like, that's not a market you want to send him to. So, I mean, for the league, I think their their top two choices would have been the Blackhawks or the Flyers. Um even if you were going to say that they rigged things, then the Flyers should have had one of the top two picks because the the Flyers being a relevant team again is good for business. And it's good for all of those low and, and mid-tier teams that don't generate a lot of revenue 
you need the flyers to be good for the rev share model. So, uh, no, I don't think it was rigged. You're the pulse of the flyers. How are everybody feeling? Those four, uh, those four wins, four straight win uh, wins in March. Were they worth it in the end for cultural purposes? I I will stand resolute in the same belief that I've had for two years now. Um, and I'm not going to continue to beat the dead horse that is Chuck Fletcher, but like this, this is your kind of swan song from the Chuck Fletcher era and the Dave Scott era and continuing to let Fletcher run the team into a brick wall. There was no path. There was no plan. The, the thing that talking to people last night, I think we all kind of agreed on. There were a lot of people who, who chimed in, who were pro tank. And there were some people who were pro culture, right? All year it was, I don't understand those people culture, like, like Are all that. Not- are they not Sixers fans? Do they not? I, I don't think they understand. Oh, I just don't think that they understand that you need talent in order to win. Like having a great culture is fine, but if you're a bunch of you know mid six guys or you know bottom six forwards and a, a bunch of second and third pair defensemen, your culture can be great. You're not going to win a Stanley Cup, and you're certainly not going to continue yeah, right right now. Like the period. Flyers' culture stinks. Well, I mean, it 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 did, and like it still kind of does. The guys are afraid of torts, so they're going to play hard. The young guys especially are going to. But, like, the 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 concept of, you know, not tanking going into last season never made sense. You, you think about it and you go, okay, there are only so many players who come out who are generational talents. That's why they're referred to as generational talents. Scouts and, you know, front offices have been aware of Connor Bedard for at least three years. It has long been tracking that he was going to be the consensus number one overall pick for multiple years. And if you're the Flyers a year ago and you look at, all right, we're building a team on the back of, literally the back of Sean Couturier, who had a massive back surgery, uh, Cam Atkinson. um, And then you look at some of the other guys that have had injury issues. Kevin Hayes had three core surgeries in like 18 months. That's not a sustainable team to build around. You also don't have an up-and-coming prospect that is a star-quality player yet. You put all those things together, anybody should look at that and say, you know what? We can go after this generational talent. We can we can do our best to put a competitive team out there. But as the president of Hockey Ops, you give your coach the tools or the players to execute that plan. You can't ask professional athletes to tank. Same thing with what happened with the Sixers. You can't ask a professional athlete to tank or to lose. You can also not ask a GM on his last life to tank as well. I mean, this this goes back further than even like them tanking in terms of players. Like this GM is trying to save his job. He's trying to collect his paycheck. He's trying to feed his family. Like any of us would do this where it was like, hey, I'm giving, you know, so-and-so Deloria, I believe that was an insane contract to give him, you know, not going after Johnny Gaudreau, which I guess in hindsight, is good because we're not going to be good for for a couple of years. But having Cam Atkinson on IR, having Ryan Ellis on IR, having Coots on IR, and for them just to not tank, I can't even blame Chuck Fletcher. I guess this goes up to Dave Scott, correct? Well, I mean, you can you can blame them both. We well, can blame but like, Chuck Fletcher. But that, that's where that's where like that's where the whole thing about be like being disingenuous was such a, a big point. Like I, I genuinely believe that if if it had not been for the pressure that had been exerted on the franchise by people like Anthony and Bundy and myself. And some other people that have like a, a decent platform. Um, I, I don't think that you would have gotten the vitriol that showed up at the town hall where they booed Chuck Fletcher on the stage. There were there were like a number of things that all kind of fell within a 10-day window that fundamentally shifted what this organization was going to do with Fletcher. And so um I do believe that like in his heart of hearts, he thought that when he got through the trade deadline, he was going to get this upcoming offseason. But like that, that all comes back to the problem of like. He shouldn't have had that job security, nor should he have had the feeling that his job was secure. He did a poor job. And like the worst thing, Kyle, is it would be one thing if Bedard was the only good player in this draft. And sometimes that happens. There's one guy who stands out and then it's a bunch of like B-level players. But there are four players in this draft who are viewed as star quality. Four. And they're not all guys who just like popped up in the last 10 months because of strong play. It's not, we haven't gotten to that point where like you'd have, you know, the combine pop where it's like, oh my God, this guy's just like measuring off the charts. These players have been out there for 18 months at least. You knew they were all going to be hitting this draft. Like any team that is in the midst of what should be a rebuild did what some of these bad teams did. And that's actively tank. And in the case of Chicago, you know, it worked. 
Now, it did, did it work for Anaheim? No. Did it work for Arizona? No. But you know what? They're still going to have top picks. They still have a, a legitimate shot at one of the you know top stars going into this draft. So I, that's I think that's what's what makes this whole thing even more frustrating. You know? Well, I mean, the the environment for tanking has to be just right. You know, I mean, the reason that Oklahoma City was able to get away with it, I mean, their tank was just as egregious as anything the Sixers did, you know. But Sam Presti is a general manager who, as an assistant GM, he won three titles. And then as a GM, he got to the to the NBA finals, right? So he's kind of got the clout and the, you know, the experience and the tenure to get the benefit of the doubt to say, like, okay, you can take us through this process and nobody's going to bat an eye. Sam Hinkie was his first GM job. People are like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Plus, Philly, Philly as a basketball market is not what Oklahoma City is as a basketball market, right? So I think in the Flyers' case, it doesn't. It, it looks like from a from a um, macro or micro. Not macro. I'm trying to think of a better word than macro. Macro is not really what I'm trying to say, but it just doesn't. Feel, you. It doesn't feel right that a franchise like the Flyers would even have to tank. You know what I'm saying? It's like like Alabama football. I'm not saying the Flyers are Alabama football. Maybe it's that a bad bad. Texas A&M. Maybe maybe Flyers are more Texas A&M. Yeah, Texas A&M does not have to like tank and rebuild. Like like a lot of these teams just restock. Like the Flyers were able to restock mostly for throughout the last 30 years without rebuilding, and they were competitive, right? They didn't have to. They didn't have to tear it all the way down to studs. You know what I'm saying? Whereas like in the case of other teams that are in smaller markets, they're a little bit more obscure, but they're not going to have eyeballs on them. They're not going to get criticized for it as much because they can just kind of go about their business and suck ass. And that's kind of what Anaheim's doing. Like yeah, Anaheim. Anaheim has had a lot of top picks. They've got a, a pretty young, exciting team, but they're obviously not good enough. Hence they're, you know, they were in the draft lottery, but like you look at what they are building and you say, there's a lot more promise there long-term than what the flyers have here because they were they were willing to go through that but also they're not in a market that is going to judge them nearly as harshly. So No, I'm sorry man. I I, I the thing that bothers me I think about the Blackhawks thing. It's like I you know <laughs> talking about this in the last couple episodes. Like they were the le- the dead last ranked team that I wanted to see Bedard go to. Uh, we we're none of us are naive to think that him going to a big market like Chicago, of course that's going to be good for the NHL. Would have been good for in that case it would have been good for him to go to Detroit. Right. The Red Wings are a classic huge team. Right. Could have gone to Vancouver, hometown, could have gone to Montreal, whatever. Fine. But the Blackhawks have, have not been shitty for long enough to deserve Connor Bedard. Right. You can say, yes, they have only won one playoff series since they won. Uh, and well, let's, let's put this way. How do you want to look at it? Half empty or half full? Blackhawks have only won one playoff series in the last eight years. That was the qualifying round in 2020. However, they won this cup in 2014. It hasn't even been 10 years since they won their last cup. So, like, of all the teams that could have that that could have been in the mix for Bedard, it's like like we just watch these motherfuckers win three cups in a row. They have to suck. I need them to suck for for longer than they've sucked yeah. before they get rewarded with something like this. That's the thing that just rubs me the wrong way because because they were really really good and then they were shit. So there was no there was no waffling. You know, I mean that that ended up benefiting them. And I think for the Flyers' case, they don't really. They haven't committed. They do waffle. Like it, the 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 logo could actually be changed to a waffle in that circle if it they just made a waffle, waffle. It'd be fine. Yeah, a waffle. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. I want to talk to you about the the draft real quick. Uh, seven. You said four, maybe five generational talents. Any chance one of the four slips? And if not, well, who do you got at seven? Yeah, there there's a real outside shot. Really outside shot. Um, and that's if Mishkov falls. So Mishkov's a guy who, like, um, were it not for Bedard, could have been a number one overall pick. Would have been, like, last year's number one overall pick. But there's a, there's another extenuating circumstance. He's Russian, and he's also under contract to a KHL team for, I believe, three more years. And if you're the Flyers, you look at this and you go, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this, right? Uh, oh, there we go. See Craig, Craig pulling the tweets. Good. Um, the, the issue is that if you're the Flyers, right, one of the problems that you had this past year is Ivan Fedotov, who was supposed to be your backup goalie behind Carter Hart, pushing Carter Hart. There were actually some people in the organization who thought that Fedotov could even challenge Carter Hart for playing time, not take the starting job outright, but like could compete. And we know kind of what happened, or we at least know what had been reported, rumored about military service, about trying to evade, you know, was he violating his KHL contract by signing with the Flyers, like the works, right? 
what you what you do now is if you're the Flyers, you have to make a a very difficult decision if he falls. All right, M- me, I look at it and I say Danny Briere is going to be in his first year as the GM. You're going to have a new president of hockey ops. John Tortorella will be in his second year as the head coach. Even if you waited three years for Mishkov and he does come over, you've added a hell of a talent, a legitimate star player who's going to be able to come over and make an immediate impact. And you would hope that in three years, this team is good enough that they're going to be, if not in the playoffs, on that bubble and needing that player to put them over the top. Or they're that mid-of-the-conference team, and now all of a sudden you've added this massive star player. The problem is if you're the Flyers, you look at it and you go, all right, well, look what just happened with Fedotov. Do we have any concerns about Mishkov being able to come over? And if the answer to that is yes, there's a concern, then I don't know what you do as an organization because he is a star, but can you afford to draft a guy who never comes over? I mean, that that's part of the calculus if you're Danny Briere. I think it's a little bit easier because it's his first year right? Like you're swinging for the fences, but you know, you probably have at least three years as the team's GM because they've done this massive overhaul, but it, it, it's gutsy. I need, I, this is what I need from Danny Briere in the draft. I need him to do what Howie Roseman has done for the last three years and don't overthink it and just draft the hockey equivalent of like the lineman out of Alabama. Right. Just get that work in the NHL. Is that the what in the NHL? Does that work in the NHL? Well, I don't know. Is there an equivalent to that, Russ? What's this? What is the safe and conservative? Like, like what's the what's the draft pick or what's the position or type of guy that that pans out the most? Like, if I was going to say to you, like, let's do the safest thing going into the draft and draft the safest guy that we can draft, is is it like a? I don't know what that is. The draft is such a crapshoot that in a lot of cases you say like draft a, a high upside center because the thought is that they could eventually move to wing if need be, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you get a lot of GMs who get attracted to the right-handed defenseman who probably can't skate but has a, a powerful shot, and they they swing for the fences with it. The thing is, and this is why, you know, talking about process or you talk about like a hinky and, and all that, it doesn't work when you're comparing the NHL to the NBA because it's not a plug-and-play situation with the exception of like a Bedard or a McDavid or a Crosby. Like most of these guys, when they're drafted, aren't going to play for their team in the first year. And if they yeah. do, they're they're certainly not going to be a 30-goal scorer. They're not, not going to be baseball. a guy who racks up 85 points. That's, baseball. Yeah. Well, you know, what makes things interesting about like the quote-unquote generational talent is like they buck that trend and they are able to do that almost immediately. The NHL draft is such a crapshoot that like the the tweet that Craig pulled up before, if you're a Flyers fan, the only hope that you can have right now is that you end up drafting a guy at number seven who like 10 years down the line, people say, holy shit, how did he fall to seven? Like you look back at the McCarr draft, that was the Nolan Patrick draft, right? Hishier goes first, Patrick goes second. You get uh, Heiskanen and uh, Pedersen both go. Like McCarr fell. And it wasn't even like viewed at the time as like, oh my God, these teams are passing over McCarr. He's going to be the best defenseman in hockey. It just worked out. Like development worked out. The player's, you know, ability worked out. And he became, you know, one of, if not the best defenseman in the league. You have to hope at some point that if you're the Flyers, that this seventh pick, if it's not Mishkov who falls, if it's somebody else, that like that player far exceeds expectations. And you look back on it and you go, you know what? It sucked that they didn't get Bedard, but... What they got at seven is better than Anaheim got or better than what Columbus got at number three. That's what you have to hope for because otherwise you're going to just, you know, lose your mind. Right? Say, say, say they do that. Say they say that that is, ends up happening. You know, you got Bobby Brink in the organization, you got Cutter in the organization and whatnot. When are you, you know, when are you kind of ballparking the Flyers should be at least relevant? I don't know. It's hard to say, right? Because <laughs> the, the, the problem is, Tortorella raises your floor too high, which is why you didn't end up with one of the top four picks in this draft, right? Like that, that in is, is part of the problem inherently, right? Now, if they go out this offseason and they jettison Ivan Provorov like we expect them to, and if they make a tough call on Travis Konechny, which I still don't think they will, but they'll certainly entertain offers because they'd be stupid not to. If you're able to clear out a Cam Atkinson, if you're able to, I don't know, sell somebody on the the notion of like taking on Ryan Ellis's contract to bury it because it's an, an insured contract, like 
All right, maybe if you start to piece all these things together and you can free up money, you know, the the Ed Snyder in everyone says Austin Matthews is a free agent next year. Hmm. Now he's never going to come here. You can sell yourself on the idea and the dream. One more Austin first round Matthews exit, one more second round exit. You don't think he's yeah. coming here? Nah, I mean, he'll he I think he'd go out west before he'd come before he said that here. about but, the bars. But you have to look at it and, and like that that's what makes it such a hard question to answer because even like your Couturiers of the world, right? Like they have so many miles. Like a guy like Couturier has so many miles on him at this point that like he he won't be the focal point or a focal point when this team is ready to contend, right? Like you realistically should look at this roster and say if you move on from some vets and you continue to develop and you give Forster a role and Gautier in like two years, you know, ends up playing a big role in this team, all that, then you're looking at three years until you are – better than a bubble playoff team okay even with even with torts like could they theoretically outperform and like outpunch their weight class next year with torts in charge maybe like maybe they could maybe they're the 10th best team in the east but like when you're rebuilding you don't want to be the 10th you know best team in the east you want to be in that contention for a top spot again because because of where they're at with the cap thanks to chuck and a little bit thanks to hextall you don't have the flexibility to go out and just sign away big free agents. They don't have that cap space right now. Here's the here's the funny thing. When we we did the uh, that top twenty five Philly athletes list for the website back on uh, what's the date here? July twenty third, twenty eighteen. Seven twenty three, twenty eighteen. So almost five years ago to the day. Well, it's a couple months from being five. Uh, there were the we had five flyers I think in that list. We had Shane Gostis Bear at twenty four. We had Coots at twenty two. Uh, we had Provorov at 18. We had Voracek at 14. And we had Giroux at four. Okay. So, fi- so five flyers, one in the top 10, another one in the top 15. Uh, I went and started doing another like exercise of this, the top 25 athletes in Philadelphia and just threw like a rough thing together. I didn't bounce it off anybody yet, but I only came up with, with two guys. Travis Konechny coming off having a really good year. And then Carter Hart was the only other flyer that I had in there. I mean, are there any other flyers that you would conceivably put in a top 25 Philly athletes list right now? No. I mean, we did the Kings of Philadelphia when you were out and like we did a top 10 oh, did and you? between Pagan, myself and Tim. Thanks for watching Kev. I think Tim put Probably. Carter Hart at number 10, if I remember correctly, but I didn't put a flyer in the top 10. I had them both in the twenties, believe it or not. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing. And like that I think is where you look at it and you go like, Hockey ops, Fletcher, screwed the business side of the organization because how the hell do you market this team? There's nobody to market, right? Like yeah. Carter Hart's kind of an introvert. Konechny's not really. I mean, Konechny has plenty of personality. The team just, for whatever reason, hasn't done a very good job of like putting that out there. He's had it's some moments, I mean, he's had some moments that event ended up on the site, like when he told Malkin that he was a fucking nerd and yeah. you know, to put on the earmuffs or whatever, you know. But like they don't, they don't have that guy. They don't have that guy to build around or like to build a, a marketing campaign around. And like, I mean, honestly, if, if Couturier had been healthy, all right, he he's easily in the top twenty. But he's not healthy. The funny thing, yeah. looking back at that list, is like, I'm gonna get all the people with the fan cam videos on Twitter pissed off. But like Claude Giroux might have been one of the most overrated Philadelphia oh, no. athletes in like oh, the last no. three decades. <laughs> like what he was. <laughs> And what he ended up being relative to like the way that people held him in such high esteem is insane. We'll do here. We'll do it. We'll have to do a show one of these days where uh, Kyle and I take off and it's you and it's Bob and it's Tim. The first we'll, we'll do 60 minutes. The first 20 minutes is you just complaining about Giroux. The second 20 minutes is Tim complaining about Reese Hoskins. And then Bob wraps it up with the final 20 minutes, just talking about how big of a pussy Carson Wentz is. Zitneck freak. Zitneck freak. And that'll be a look special. at the evidence. Claude Giroux goes to Florida last year, which looked like an unbeatable juggernaut. He it's fucking team tanked that team. <laughs> tanked them. He sucks the energy <laughs> out of the room. You're going to compare to Kyrie Irving. Then he goes to Ottawa. Comes in a locker room, sucks the energy out of the locker room. Like Claude he goes Giroux, to Ottawa. He's one of the nicest right. guys in the world, beloved by all his teammates. Who he didn't go to Florida. He didn't go to Florida and suck the energy out of out of Florida. Florida Panthers, where they they get in the bracket, they start to add pieces. Oh, what a happy homecoming! Where did they end up? Ottawa ended up just outside of the playoffs. 
That's shit uh, they're being sold. Of course it does. It's at least nice of him to keep up the uh, make the playoffs, miss the playoff thing that he he's done for like the, the past what eight years of his career. Uh, you're a, just mad because you've you gotten your precious. Tyler, you've got your precious. Maker. Thank you. You haven't got your what? precious thank you yet, Russ. That's what you're all pissed about. You haven't gotten your precious thank you that Claude Giroux. The uh, the specially curated one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. He's waiting. He's hey, busy. Hold up. There's a comment there. Not San Filippo, who's been like writing uh, Giroux's whatever the hell for you know a decade, but the one below it. You have to look at players, and sometimes the player is really good or is good at compiling stats, but the team doesn't win. It's just, and that's fine. But like he was, he was a relatively over some play people in this city who are Flyers fans held him in the same regard as a Sidney Crosby, and they are not even remotely no, in the same but category. They're just, not. I mean, some They're people not. in this city held, I don't know, give me another Philly, uh, held. Don't give me that stupid fucking look, Russ. You know I'm. Right. You're gonna have a hard time because no, the, because the, no. But people hold their athletes that they're fans of into high regard. There's nothing wrong with a Flyers fan holding Claude Giroux in the same breath as Sidney Crosby. Now I think there you're is because kind of, they're not the same. Well, well, hold on, but I think you're kind of thinking about recency bias than you are when he had 102 points. Um, in 2007, 2018, or when he was 24 years old and had 93 points, yeah, you could argue without the cups that you could hold Claude Giroux in the same regard. People Let do that. We did that with Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, and Nikola Jokic deserved at least one of two of those of those MVPs. Okay, and, let me let me ask you this: Allen Iverson is he in the same breath as Kobe Bryant? No. Allen Iverson won a league MVP. And carried a shit team to the finals. Okay. And we know that I'm critical of, of Allen Iverson. He's, but he's not in the same Giroux. breath as Kobe Bryant was. He's not. That's fine. Yeah. Well, then the, the same logic should apply in hockey. What? Claude Giroux what? was not the same kind of player as Sidney Crosby. They shouldn't be held in the same regard. That's but, just but I, I don't think anyone nowadays will say they are. Oh, they certainly do. That's why so many people have such a vitriolic mouth, response. Breather, whenever you're then your mouth breather Flyers fan Giroux. who doesn't understand or who can't who can't delay like, or who, who can't have a, a thought that's like actually like valid. You can't, that, you can't have a valid thought. No one, no one with a sense of, of anything sports related thinks that Giroux and Crosby are mentioned in the same breath right now. Nobody. There's nobody. There are. There's, but then there are a bunch of mouth breathers who call into sports radio. I agree. Bunch of mouth breathers. But there's a bunch of mouth breathers who think Jalen Hurts is better than Patrick Mahomes. So are we going to compare them or that, or that Paul Reed is like the second coming of like Hakeem Olajuwon? Like You're there big, are idiots. Big ball Paul guy. We're we're idiots. You know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of idiots around here. There's it's just like you know you go to people who think like that um, Avengers are like actually good movies and not just like popcorn uh, entertainment, like. It's it's the same with like politics. You you go on all the time. Your mouth breathers who fight for the red and your mouth breathers who fight for the blue. People are idiots. Mm-hmm. Nobody right now thinks that Claude Giroux, who who you should take their opinion, thinks Claude Giroux and and, uh, and Sidney Crosby are in the same breath. But for you to say Claude Giroux is, would you say he was the most overrated athlete? The I'd last say he's one years? of the most overrated players in the past few decades. Well, then you could put Allen Iverson up there. Which I think you actually would, which is sad. AI, AI won a title, or AI won the MVP, right? Like there, there is something about that. Like I, I think that when Drew you're able ran to be in, Drew ran into Ovechkin in and Crosby, league. two of the best players we've seen in the last thirty years. What was that? Drew ran into the same time as the peak of of Crosby and Ovechkin, two of probably the top ten players we've seen in the last thirty odd years, twenty odd years. Run into each other in the playoffs every single year. No, but I'm saying when you talk, when you're talking about MVPs and whatnot, like I, I mean, I, I like listen. I don't really follow the Flyers like I do the Phillies, the Eagles, and the Sixers. But I mean, calling Claude Giroux overrated in the last thirty years is kind of out of out of control, even it's for not, you. Okay. Even He's for not you. Giroux. Giroux is has always been whatever the next step is below tier one. I wouldn't even call him tier two. Oh, he 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 lives somewhere between tier one and tier two. He's like a t- like. You're gonna say Sidney Crosby is tier one A, Claude Giroux is tier one B. Like I get like in like uh, you know Aaron Nola is Aaron Nola an ace? I don't know if he's no. an ace, but what? No. what well, let's go back to the last year's argument when he was when he was pitching well, right? 
He's not, he's certainly not an ace, but is he tier two? I don't know. He's some, he, he straddles the line. He's somewhere in between, in between those two. You know, my thing with Giroux is that like, I never wanted to, I never watched a Flyers game and said, man, I can't wait to watch Claude yeah. Giroux. Whereas when I was a kid, maybe this is just a difference in age or whatever, but like when I was a kid, I wanted to watch Eric Lindros play every night. You know, I wanted to watch the Legion of Doom. Maybe that's just, just says something about the entirety of the team and the guys who were around Giroux. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I never looked at him and was like, yeah, I can't wait to watch this guy on the ice. I and there, and there lies the problem with what happened in this in this draft lottery to kind of bring it full circle is like yeah. you can't you can't sell your fan base right now on being able to like get excited about that guy because you well, don't have the here's a theoretical, right? Okay, you've got 15 kids, Russ, right? Yep. Um, if one of your kids came to you and said, you know, I want a Flyers jersey, right? Like, like what what player on this team are you telling your kid? Or if somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, my kid wants a Flyers jersey, he's 10 years old. Like, who whose fucking jersey is he buying? You got the Eagles, man. This kid wants a Jalen Hurts jersey. This this guy wants a Joel Embiid jersey. Get a Bryce Harper. Who who on the who the that who have the Flyers had in the last ten years that has that has made you say, man, I want to watch this guy play, or I can't wait to go buy his jersey from the Models on like Baltimore Pike. I mean, when when Giroux was here, he was that guy, right? Like he he was the one who people would get excited about because like he was a top thirty player. Sometimes he got closer to top fifteen. Sometimes you you know. Um, yeah. I, I like if if healthy Couturier is that guy, but he's not flashy. You don't you don't buy tickets to go watch Sean Couturier back check. You know, like that's know, not. Like, that's yeah, not I don't know if we saw. I, I, did we get enough of a sample? So, I mean, Giroux was with the Panthers for two seconds. You know, I mean, so we got to see him play with with Barkov and Ekblad and Huberdo and all this. And I, I don't know if there was enough of. I mean, it's so weird because he was he was he was there for a cup of coffee, you know. I mean, did we see anything in that stretch that that helped the argument, helped the Flyers' argument, any in any which way, shape, or form? The argument probably, probably not, right? I mean, well, I mean, did you see enough? Did was there any moment when he was in Florida where you said, "Aha, see, you know, if he had these guys around him in Philly, it would have been different because they crashed out of the second round, they got swept." I know Tampa went Stanley Cup, a nice point streak. I think when he first got there. Yeah. And then, yeah, just kind yeah, of. They were all bullshit assists, though. It was like a, a secondary assist that went off a guy's skate. I don't know. I'm because I'm trying to think. Like, I know you're kind of joking. You're being facetious, but Florida is hammering teams in the in the playoffs right now, and <laughs> I don't know what's what, different. Claude Giroux Ewing theory, Kevin. No, I mean, but I mean, like the, the Kachuk is there. Kachuk, Kachuk is the re- I mean, Kachuk's yeah. the reason that they're yeah. that they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. So, uh, so I don't, uh, you know, but I, I'm I'm trying to aid the argument by saying, hey, did we get any definitive proof of anything during that short amount of time that he played with, with with decent guys? Because you know, remember, I did, I did that story last year on the site. I think I ranked like the top ten dudes that Giroux has ever played with. Right. I think like three of them were Florida Panthers. Seriously, I should go pull it up again, like before the end of the show, because I because I was like, we were trying to think who's the best friggin teammate that he that he had here. And it was I think the answer was like some dude that it was like. Uh, I mean, he was technically he was technically teammates with Chris Pronger. He was uh, technically I mean, he had he had Voracek here for a good long while. But the problem there is that they were both facilitators. Neither of them were an elite goal scorer. This so. is what I. Had okay, I pulled it up right here. This, this was, is what we came up with. I think I'm I need. Putting, on, I'm putting sixty more seconds. Lead, on, I'm I'm putting sixty more seconds on Giroux talk. Right. I'd be happy if we don't talk about him anymore. Go ahead. Let me, I'll let's end it on this. Let's end it on this. This is what we came up with last year. You and Anthony helped. Uh, Claude Giroux's top ten teammates of all time were Sean Couturier, Jake Voracek, Jonathan Huberdeau, Danny Briere, Jeff Carter, Vinny LeCavalier, Joe Thornton, Alexander Barkov, Chris Pronger, and Yarmir Yager. Yager's probably the best. LeCavier yeah. was probably only on there because of like what he was in Tampa, but certainly not. Well, that's how we decided to do it because we were just like, I don't, you know, he wasn't a man, he was a shitty flyer, yeah, but I mean, but, but, you know, when Yager was here, Giroux had his 93 point season. Yager so, was excellent for him. It's a shame that, that they couldn't work anything out beyond right. that year. Let's get it back to the Eagles, shall we? Actually, I do want to get it back to the Eagles. Donna Kelsey okay. leaked, uh, leaked the schedule. I love that woman. Oh, uh, did she? She did. She yeah. Did. Well, she leaked, she leaked part of the schedule. 
Uh, shout out to Let's Go to the Phone Boys, who I wonder if they'll have the schedule. Their source has been kind of uh, up in the air. But uh, according to Donna Kelsey on Facebook, because that's exactly where Donna Kelsey should be leaking the schedule, uh, Chiefs-Germany game is in November. The Chiefs will be playing the Bears. But uh, Craig, slide down a little bit for me. It's in the comments where she says she responds back to a guy. Uh, Sean Young looks like a great chance. The Eagles play New England and Germany. Blah, 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 blah. Donna Kelsey replies, Chiefs play Eagles week two in Arrowhead. Shout out Donna Kelsey. I love right. it. Her, her MVP streak just continues to keep going. Stay hot, Donna. Um, I mean, it's got to be prime time, obviously. Well, the real question, yeah, and the real question is, will the Eagles have the punt god with them on the oh, roster at that time? I, I do want to talk about this. Yeah. I didn't understand your article. It seemed like you were... It's, it was kind of funny because you said, who's going to write the, the punt God article? And mm-hmm. then you kind of, in a way, wrote the punt God article. Yeah, but I waffled because the guy's still got a civil suit pending. So I'm not going like, to. Yeah, I'm not going to risk the wrath of the, uh, the the wokes, the wokesters, you know. Well, see, that's the thing, though. Like what's what's still going on? Because what I what I read was there was a 200 page document that shows that he wasn't even there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so is this but, like the civil suit where it's like O.J. Simpson acquitted? Yeah. O.J. Simpson still owes uh, Ron Goldman's family like $15 million. If somebody wrote the story and went, hey, the Eagles should take a look at Matt Ariza or whatever, how, how you say his name, it would be a little bit iffy because he the, he hasn't been cleared from the civil suit. The civil suit hasn't been resolved. What came out was this uh, uh, document from the prosecutor, I guess, who, who said that they could not confirm that he was there during the gang rape thing. But there was a separate allegation that the the girl that he had an encounter with the girl that he says was consensual and he claims that he didn't know that she was underage so that's the that's the thing that would have to be resolved they're not going to fire file criminal charges that was announced months ago that there's no criminal charges coming in this thing but the civil suit was pending and that's probably gonna be resolved surely based on the the information that came out uh, yesterday, but no, I don't think the Eagles are like extend. This is what I was trying to say to people on Twitter. Yeah. I don't think the Eagles are getting on the phone with him right now because that ha- that case is still alive in court. If the civil suit gets dismissed or resolved, then it's fair game because he's got nothing—no criminal charges, no civil. Um, I I am reading something from the New York Post. Ryan Glassspiegel wrote it. Yeah. The end of it says Monday Yahoo Sports reported that 200-page transcript of a meeting that Deputy DA Trisha Amador had with the accuser became available, and that Amador said Areza could not have been the one to lead her toward the alleged gang rape because he had left the house an hour before it would have occurred. Am I reading that wrong, or is that the accuser saying that he wasn't even there? So if that's the case, the civil suit should probably be thrown out today. No, there was stuff in there. There was stuff in the Yahoo story where it was like using the viewpoint of the prosecutors talking to the accuser um, and saying, like, we have this video. It looks like it's not non-consensual. Like, we can't prove that this guy was here. Like, they're just kind of finding holes in her story. So eventually, you know, if it gets to the point where they're like, we can't do any. There are no criminal charges. And if the civil suit is dismissed or falls through then he's fair game, man. I mean, he's he's exonerated of everything, and he's probably going to start filing lawsuits against all the people who accused him of being this. Oh, yeah, that's, that's fucking yeah. weird. If he signed, he would be yeah. the second Philadelphia athlete to be embroiled in a potential legal thing about being in or around a gang rape. Shut up, Russ. We're not talking about Claude Giroux again. Not um, him. Not him. Stop it. <laughs> Yeah, but here's the thing, right? Because it's because because he, you know, the Bills released him before, you know, like before the legal process played out. Yeah, they 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 released him the same day. They released him right away because people like you got to get rid of this dude, and nothing had played out yet. It's it reminds me in a way. I'm like, don't take this like it. Don't take this like word for word, but at face value, it reminds me of the Duke lacrosse thing a little bit. Because people jumped on that shit Mm -hmm. and were just like, this has to be true, and then it ended up not being true. So it's just. And here's here's what kills me is like if Matt Ariza was a franchise quarterback, yeah, we've been treated completely differently. They're not gonna fucking cut Jalen Hurts because of a you know a gang rape allegation. They're gonna let the process play out. But this guy doesn't get the benefit of the doubt for that because he's a rookie punter. So like I, like at some point here we have to respect like the the legal process of all this stuff. I don't want to just jumping down him. everyone's throat. Yeah, we had yeah. this thing at Temple yeah. where I was at Temple, a football player kicked off the team because a woman. So did the same exact thing. She uh, she accused him of rape. Lost two years of his uh, 
of his yeah. eligibility or two years yeah. of playing ended up not ended up just being a jealous girlfriend or a jealous ex-girlfriend or something like that. And the guy never played football. <laughs> ever again. Yeah. And I don't want to get like into some big tangent here about cancel culture and, and shit like that and the believe women movement or whatever. But like when you jump the gun on stuff like this, it does irreparable damage. I mean, this guy's career, this guy lost at least a year of his career. Uh, there's lawsuits that are probably going to come back the other way. And then, like, w- women who actually are in real situations like this, who yeah. want to tell everybody about it and report it, like, th- this th- this shit kind of kills the Believe Women movement because when people try to fake it or they say some shit that's just not true, you know, it, it just waters it down for everybody else who has a legitimate case who was, who, who were assaulted and, and it was non-consensual, you know? So now you're putting this bug in everybody's head where it's like, yeah, you want to believe people you want to take it at face value but you get this shit you get duke lacrosse case you get stuff like this it's like how, how do you like you, you gotta let the the process play out man you gotta do due diligence gather the evidence gather the facts let the legal process play out i mean you can't you can't cave to to people saying you gotta do this and you gotta do that and whatever and That's i don't know good. yeah well, let's end on a let's end on a, or a more happier note. The Commanders allegedly tampered with Andrew Luck and probably are going to have to give even more than what they gave for Carson Wentz to Indianapolis. If you didn't see it yesterday, uh, we wrote the story and it, they were the Colts were thinking about um, opening an investigation. It broke last night that they are uh, they want to open investigation according to the Washington Post. The balls on the fucking Commanders, the worst organization in the NFL. To think they had the pull, almost the blind confidence is, is is almost admirable. To think a guy who got out of the league because he hated football so much, he hated all the injuries he's going through, would be lured out by the commanders is insane. And I'm going to miss Dan Snyder more than anything in this world and the people he puts around him. It's the best. And now we have an adult in the room, Josh Harris. It sucks. It sucks. Yeah, it's a detriment. The detriment. I mean, we're not going to be able to make fun of them really anymore. You know, it's my favorite thing when somebody moves on or something happens. People go on Facebook and they say, "Well, what are you going to? Where, where's your material going to come from now? You know, can't talk about Angelo anymore. What are you going to do? What are you going to talk about Howard when you? What are you going to talk about when Howard retires? What are you going to talk about when the command when Dan Snyder sells? Like, got plenty of shit. Okay, but no, seriously, what are you going to talk about like when Howard retires? Well, I guess we're going to pack up the site. Yeah, there will be no crossing bra. We're, we're just going to have to end it. put it in the bagster. Yeah, there will be no more sight. Poor Ford. What's he going to do at 12 p.m. except for duck us every time the Sixers win? <laughs> so will Ford be back tomorrow if uh, or back on? Oh, he'll be back tomorrow. The- yeah. Yeah. Sounds uh, like your seven and a half point favorites. He'll be back tomorrow. Yeah. This is going to be a blowout. Yeah. What's the um? What's the thought here, guys? I, I missed this part in the beginning of the show. I or I did hear Kincaid saying that he doesn't think the Sixers can win. He doesn't, and I don't as well. I do think it's a blowout today, but I did just see on MGM the series spread has totally switched from now uh, Philadelphia Sixers plus one and a five, one and a half, excuse me, minus one sixty five. Boston Celtics minus one and a half is plus one thirty five. That's a series spread, not the uh, series uh, money line, but it was at Celtics plus one fifty last night, so it has. Has gone down a little bit, so I think the uh, I think the schedule makers or the the sorry the, uh, the the betting sites really do think this is going seven, which I I don't disagree. I mean, why I won't? I mean, you got to believe in Joe Mazzola, you got to believe in that fraud Jason Tatum, and on the other end, you got to believe in James Harden, and you got to believe in Joel Embiid, and it's just like kind of up in the air. If if James Harden doesn't come with the most craziest outfit today, the Sixers will lose. I just don't get like at, at some point here they're they're going to have to do like an autopsy on the Celtics. Like if, if the Celtics lose the series, Bill Simmons is going to have to have like the longest autopsy with Ryan Rossillo on their shows about like what happened to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Those guys should be able to eat the Sixers alive. Yeah, the and they yeah. both go through these bouts of looking largely indifferent. Like if you go back and look at game one and game four, there are just large stretches where Brown doesn't want to shoot. Brown chooses not to shoot in the fourth quarter of game one. Tatum just disappeared. Like part of what made Tatum's, you know, game four performance so mind boggling towards the end is like he had been effectively like on a milk carton most of the game and then just like decided to turn it on in the fourth. Mm -hmm. I don't get that. Like, and obviously the Sixers don't have the ability to like weather the storm with that. You can't have Joel and James Harden no show for quarters at a time uh, because when it happens, 
it's a blowout. But man, they, they, you almost wonder if they have the heart of a champion, you know? Well, look, if it doesn't work out for the Sixers, <clears throat> you know, Doc has to go. Bob Huggins may be available. <laughs> man, Kev, I'm sorry. Best transfer portal class you've gotten ever. And, and the Huggy Bear. <laughs> Just had to go on some Cincinnati radio. Uh, dumbass. My God. Say what he's had to say. Hey, but maybe, yeah. hey, I don't know if you guys have a, a second in command in the wing that can take this uh, this team to the Final Four, but hey, maybe maybe win the Big 12. Should take the football coach with him. I'm I'm just dreading. We play Penn State this year. We're gonna get fucking killed by Penn State, and it just makes me so angry. Like they just That's happen to get us back on the schedule when we suck. That's the spirit right there, yeah. right there. So, All right. thanks, what everybody. Do you, what do you think, Russ? Tonight, Kevin just left. What a guy. Um, I think they, I think they lose tonight, but um, I, I don't know. I, I want to believe that they can win. The, the pro, I mean, obviously, this is this is just math. They have to win a game in Boston, right, for, for any of this to matter. So you ha- why not tonight, you know? But the big thing is they've got to get Harden cooking immediately. He's got to be the focal point. He's got to be the driver. If, if they initially defer to Embiid to start and they play through the post, they will not win in Boston tonight. There's just no shot. Get Harden right. cooking. Get Maxi some confidence. You have a shot on the road tonight. And then right. come home, game six, let you know the Sixers kind of fall apart and disappoint the home fans. But like at least go out and, and keep it competitive tonight. I don't know. Yeah, that's that plus seven and a half. Plus seven and a half's not too bad. No, plus seven and a half. Whatever. No. Might not be anyway. a bad bet. All right. Hey, thank you to uh thank you to Russ for hopping on. Thank you to Kevin. Thank you to me. Thank you to Russ. Or thank you to uh yes, the Joncos. Uh we'll, the Joncos will be brought out tonight. I will be wearing the Joncos tonight. Shout out to uh, my girl Kelly at Trash Vintage for making me these custom Joncos. Ten nine eight on the one ass seventy sixers on the other ass. We're own one with the Joncos, but I feel like we're going to be one and one if I do break out the Joncos. They're over here, right here. Um, all right, guys, it's not polite to stare. Anyway, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, I'm Kyle. That's the show. Thank you, Craig. And we will talk to you on Thursday.